0: Hello, folks, and welcome back to the On Being Christian podcast. I'm so glad that you chose to listen. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host, and the uh, On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of Wasatch Front Baptist Church. I am the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this is the On Being Christian podcast. This is podcast number five. I hope that you are having a wonderful holiday season. I hope that you have had ample time to spend with friends and family. I know that I have, and I've got quite a lot of time coming up to where I'll be able to do that exact thing. Folks, I want to start off by just letting you know so much of the content of this podcast is not, it's researched and it's planned, but it's not planned in the sense of picking things at random. Most often it's something that has come up through the week, um, rather through conversation or through a phone call with someone who's going through something, and um, it drives me into the Word of God, it drives me into the Bible, to be, uh, to be very honest with you, to look for what the Lord would have me to know about the subject, or oftentimes uh, to look specifically for what the Lord would have me to say to an individual. Now sometimes it's not about saying anything, it's just about listening. Um, In fact, that is often the case, but other times it is good and and profitable for me to have an idea from the Bible concerning the subject. With that in mind, I'd like to speak to you just for a little bit uh, today about the idea of infirmities. Infirmities. It's nothing I'm sure that uh, you are new to, the idea of infirmities, whether they be physical or whether they be mental or psychological. We live in a fallen world, and it's just part of life. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the idea of infirmities. To start off, I'd just like to very briefly share with you three different passages from the Scripture that show us how the Lord... Uh, deals with infirmities, and I kind of broke them down into a, a present, a past, and a future. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, 16 through 17, it says, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, that's Isaiah, the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our, sickness. so our, our sicknesses. So this is kind of in the present tense. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He bears our infirmities. The word infirmities here specifically is a word that means a feebleness or by implication a malady. Um, a malady is a word that means a, a any distemper from impaired or or morbid organic functions, and so you have you have a, a pretty clear definition here. In this specific instance, he's cleaning house concerning the psychological aspects. Spirits and 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 devils are being healed by the word of God, and he's taking those things. The Bible says. Um, in verse in verse 17, there it says, um, "As it was prophesied by Isaiah himself, talking about Jesus Christ, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses." And so, in a very real sense, in a very present sense, our Lord Jesus Christ takes upon Himself those things which we are unable to take upon ourselves, and um, and He. And he has the victory over those things, which is also something we are unable to do. Uh, With respect to the past tense or past pointing forward, if we go over to Isaiah chapter 53, it says in 2 through 5, the Bible says, For he shall grow up before him a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form, no comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he was or excuse me surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. This is a prophetic section of Scripture where the prophet Isaiah is talking about what the Son of God, Jesus Christ, would come to do. And so it's a, in a past tense, prophetically pointing forward to the future of what Jesus Christ would do, and it says he would come and, and he would bear our griefs. He would, uh, it says he borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Griefs here is a term for a calamity, and sorrows is a term for affliction and pain. And so in the present tense, he is uh, bearing our infirmities, from the past tense looking forward, he specifically came to bear our griefs and to carry our sorrows. And then I want you to just show you very briefly in the future tense. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 24, um, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And and we we looked at that verse not too far back here um, for exactly that content. Verse 24 says, "...who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree..." that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And so this is, this is in the future, in other words, after the life of Jesus Christ, looking backwards, and here um, it's actually quoting what Isaiah said about what Jesus Christ would do prophetically. It's saying, yes, not only is Isaiah right, but Jesus Christ did it. It's done. The victory has been won. So all three of these sections of Scripture talk about what Jesus Christ will do concerning our, uh, uh, our infirmities. Um, verse 24 of 1 Peter chapter 2 specifically says, uh, "...who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree." And so Jesus Christ uh, reacts differently. to say the least, to our infirmities. He, through his birthright, the only begotten Son of God, and through his love for us, he had the power within his perfect body and within his perfect mind to pay the price for sin, to bear sin upon himself, not becoming sin, uh, not sinning to become a sinner, but taking on sin, taking the responsibility of the payment on sin upon himself, He had the ability to produce victory over that sin where you and I were defeated by it, are defeated by it. So that's just a little bit of an idea about kind of the direction that I'd like to talk to you uh, just a little bit about infirmities. I'd like to share with you three stories from the Bible about people who had infirmities that they couldn't do anything about until the Lord Jesus Christ entered the picture. Three stories, very briefly here. Mark chapter 5 is our first story. Now, if you're familiar with the Scripture, you're going to be familiar with these stories. They're not new stories by any means. Um, But I do want to share some things with you, perhaps that you may not have considered before. In Mark chapter 5, the context of what I'd like to show you starts in verse 21, and it goes down through verse 43, which is the end of the chapter. And the Bible says uh, in verse 21, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered under him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And, behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogues. And it goes on and it talks about all of these things that are taking place. um and concerning the people and why they came to see Jesus. Verse 25 is where I want to get started. It says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. And so you've got a woman that shows up with this crowd, and she has a problem. She has an issue. The Bible says specifically that it's an issue of blood, uh, some kind of medical issue. And she's had this issue for 12 years. In verse 26, it says, "...and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse." So you have this lady here. Uh, She's had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she has pursued every available means to her. She's exhausted her financial situation, And the only result that she has for all the time that she has pursued this issue of blood, for all the money that she has invested into a potential cure, the Bible says the only thing that she has to show for it is that she's worse off than when she started. And that's a familiar story, unfortunately. And verse 27 says, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment now the picture that you have here is of a a very large group of people and that's what that word press means it literally means that these people are are pressing upon jesus he's not really even able to move about freely because of how many people are here specifically to see him and it says that she came up in that press and simply touched his garment That's all that she did. Verse 28 says, For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Now, I want you to notice what just happened. It wasn't the clothes of Jesus Christ That healed her of whatever plague that she had been dealing with. It was her faith in just simply being able to touch Jesus that empowered the healing of her. I want you to notice what Jesus said. Verse 30, and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Now, the disciples' reaction to this is exactly the type of reaction that I think I would have had. Verse 31 says, And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And so you've got people literally pressing against Jesus Christ. There's a crowd, they're trying to get to him. It's hard for him to move, it's hard for him to walk. And in and amongst all of that chaos, if you will, and in amongst all of that activity, you have one woman who decides by faith within herself that the only thing required for the healing power of God is simply just to touch Jesus Christ. That faith God honored. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ knew the exact moment that virtue went out of him. The disciples were very confused by this because there was a lot of people that were pressing, but there was only one person that did so with the type of faith that allowed healing. Verse 32, he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him, all the truth. So he looks around to find out who exactly is a part of this event, and she sees it. She becomes terrified. She becomes fearful. She falls down at the feet of Jesus Christ, and she confesses what she's done. Almost you get the idea that she may think that she uh, had done something wrong. And verse 34 says, And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole. Of thy plague and then it has another story that kind of takes over and and, and there's a shift in attention if we go down to um, yeah and, there, and and then he, he, there's another healing that takes place uh, this is the story of a woman who had issue of, of, of blood for 12 years and her faith her faith is where the healing power came from I think that there's three things that we need to learn specifically from this story. The first thing is that she accepted that he could. She had exhausted her financial situation. She had exhausted the medical options available to her. The only thing that she had as a result of everything that she tried to do to fix her problem was that the problem had gotten worse. It was worse off than when it had started. Folks, I'm I'm familiar with this. Both personally and in just my dealings with people, so often what we try to do when we're faced with um, scary, big infirmities is we try to fix it ourselves. And often the result of us trying to fix our own issues is that the issues get bigger. But when Jesus Christ became a part of the picture, she, with faith, decided that all that was needed was just to touch him. And that faith allowed, as the Bible says, virtue to go out of Jesus Christ, and she was healed. And then when Jesus Christ directly confronted her, his simple statement was, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith. So the first thing that she accepted was that he could do it. And then I want you to notice that faith affected Jesus Christ. Folks, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is affected by faith. He's affected by faith. Your faith in Jesus Christ uh, will not return void. It, it, It will have Uh, It will produce an outcome. The third thing I want you to notice here specifically is that she acknowledged what he did. One of the things that I think lacks sometimes within the Christian realm today is we ask Christ for help, but then when he helps, we don't acknowledge that it was him that did it. We don't acknowledge that it was Christ who, at the end of my rope, at the end of my road, at my wit's end, it was Christ that came in and changed the outcome. We're all too happy to beg him when we know we have no other options. But as soon as we are healed of our issue, as soon as we perceive that there are potentially other options, we are sometimes very quick to abandon him and go back to the things that logically, systematically make sense to our human mind, and I think that's a shame. Because there's three things that we can learn from this woman. She had an issue of blood for 12 years, and no matter what she did, her problem got worse. She decided by faith that all she needed to do was touch Jesus Christ, and that faith allowed virtue to go out of Jesus Christ and it was that faith that Jesus Christ told the woman made her whole. Made her whole. It's it's faith. It's faith that makes whole. It's faith that brings our issues to an end. There's another story found in Luke chapter 8 about a man. And so that's the first story about a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years, Luke chapter 8. And then the context of this is found in verse 27, or that's, that's where it starts, verse 27, and it reads down through verse 39. I want you to look at what the Bible says here. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wore no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. So you have this picture here that the Bible's relaying to us. This man, uh, he, he's, he doesn't have a home. He lives in the tombs. Now at this point, specifically where Jesus Christ was at this point, there's a place of land that's it's made up of pretty porous rock, And there was a known place where you would have these catacombs or these tombs, which were holes in the rock that could be used as um, grave sites. And people would put uh, their loved ones in there, and they would seal those with stones. And the Bible said that this man was living in those tombs. He was unclothed and living in the tombs. Verse 28 says, "...when he saw Jesus..." He cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Now that's very interesting. It's almost as if that which was in him recognized that Jesus was different. Jesus was different. Verse 29 says, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he break the bands and was driven by the devil into the wilderness. Now you have this picture here. It looks like at this point people in this man's life had tried to help him, though it had been up to this uh, specific time with physical restraints and, and physical uh, requirements. It says fetters and chains. That's a idea, or it gives the picture of both um, restraints for the hands and restraints for the feet. And the Bible says that this man had a almost supernatural strength or a, a very um, a strength that was possible because of the disregard of his own body. And he was tearing these chains. It said he was he'd break the bands and the fetters, and he would live in the wilderness, and people couldn't control him, people couldn't approach him. He was psychologically out of his mind, living in the tombs, whatever that, you know, whatever sustenance that he's living on. I, the Bible doesn't say any of that, but you can imagine a naked man living in the tombs with a strength that makes other people very much afraid of him. And when Jesus Christ became a part of the picture, he didn't have to close the distance to the man. The man closed the distance. And it's interesting, that which was in him, the devils the Bible talks about, immediately starting uh, started petitioning Jesus Christ with certain requests. Verse 30 says, "'And Jesus asked him, saying, "'What is thy name?' And he said, "'Legion.'" because many devils were entered into him and they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep, which is an interesting thought to me. For whatever reason, this legion of demons, um, they did not want to go into the deep. But the thing that I find very interesting is that um, they knew that, whoever Jesus Christ was, they knew who he was, but they knew that whatever he said, they would have to do. Isn't it interesting? There's a different verse in the Bible that says, the devils believe and tremble. Christianity today has been reduced, sadly, to nothing more than, well, I believe in God, quote-unquote. When the Bible says, that's not enough, the devils believe but they don't repent. The devils believe, and more than that, they tremble. They are afraid, but they don't repent. Folks, it's not just about believing, it's about repenting. I can believe in God all day long, but until I let Him be the Lord of my life, until I give Him permission, until I die to self, as the Bible says, and, and obey, Then it's just a discussion. It's just a negotiation. And that's not salvation. Salvation is more than just belief, it's belief and repentance. And then I, and by the way, I'm not telling you that you need to work for your salvation. I'm saying that a person who truly becomes saved is a person that believes in Jesus Christ and repents of themselves with the intention of allowing the Lord. To govern their lives. Does that mean we're perfect? No, it does not. It does mean that we're not comfortable as a saved person in the sin that we used to be comfortable in as a person who had not accepted Christ. And so you have this story here of this man. He has these devils in him, this, this legion. And this legion, we're now watching this conversation take place between this legion of demons and the Son of God. Verse 32 says and there was there a herd of of many swine feeding on the mountain and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them and he suffered them then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked when they that fed the swine saw what was done they fled and went and told it to the city and in the country when they went out to see what was done. In other words, all the people that were tending to this herd of swine, these herd of pigs, they saw what was done. They ran and told everybody in the city. And this is what just happened. Verse 35, and when, excuse me, then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed. Look at what, look at this man now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, I want you to understand what just happened. Jesus Christ became a part of the picture. This man who had devils, the Bible says that um, he had devils a long time, and they were specifically uh, defined as a legion, a legion of demons. Jesus Christ cast them out, and the man who had this infirmity a long time, was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Now, that's a mark of victory, but I want you to notice how the public responded. When the public came out to see what was done, what scared them more than anything else was the vision of what they knew to be a crazy man, a lunatic, sitting in his right mind, clothed calmly at the feet of Jesus Christ. Why was that so terrifying to the the public, to the people? I'd like to offer this opinion about the matter. I think sometimes when people see the power of Jesus Christ in the life of someone they know very well... It's very convicting. It's very convicting. When the Lord heals infirmities, it is a mark of victory and accomplishment and achievement that the world knows is beyond them. Folks, I have seen people, and I'm one of those people, who accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and the change, what the Lord did inside was enough to be a confrontation for some of those other people in my life. When the Lord heals infirmities, truly, the public will notice. Those who are around you will notice. They'll notice a difference in you. The Bible says that when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, it says that old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And sometimes that new man born of the only begotten Son of Jesus Christ, it's a convicting thing for those who have rejected Christ to see. And so when infirmities are a part of lives and when Jesus Christ becomes a part of the picture concerning those people with infirmities, don't be so sure that everyone will be so pleased when you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because a changed life, especially lived in the power of God, will create conviction uh, in the lives of those around you. Just like this man here, sitting and clothed in his right mind, should have been something that was praised, should have been something that God received the glory from. But I want you to notice, instead of giving God the glory for what he did, the public begged him to leave. They said, no, we don't want you here. Can you imagine that? Look at verse 36. They also, which saw it, told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadareans round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. And so when Jesus Christ became a part of the picture... When the infirmities of this man who had a legion of demons, a legion of devils, a long time in him was healed, the effect wasn't, oh, praise the Lord, look what the Lord did. The effect was for them to go to Jesus Christ and say, you need to leave. Folks, that's so, that is the exact wrong response. The right response is to allow. The fear of the Lord to create in you a desire for him more than a desire for the old man. But as often is the case, those who feel they don't need Christ don't ever find him. It's those who know that without him they have nothing that tend to find the salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Three things that we can learn from this man In verse 27, it says that he went to see Jesus, which is exactly what you and I will need to do when faced with infirmities. In verse 35, it says that he stayed with Jesus. It said he was sitting at his feet. He stayed stayed there. Once Jesus Christ heals your infirmities, folks, the most beneficial thing to do is stay where Jesus Christ is. Be where he is. This idea... That you can serve the Lord and be a Christian without being where Christ says he is, it's foolishness. I have a wife. I love my wife. If I told my wife, listen, I love you, but I don't really feel the need to be anywhere you are, I don't know that she would accept that, and I don't think that she should, and nor would I if she said that to me. We understand that physically. That if you love someone, you want to be where they are. You want them to be where you are. The same thing goes for Jesus Christ. And where does the Bible say Jesus Christ is? The Bible says uh, that he manifests himself through preaching. And so to say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I feel absolutely no requirement to go to church. Well, can I just push back on that a little bit? Why not? Why wouldn't you want to be? where the one you love is? It's a fair question, I think. And the last thing we can find out from this man is is found in uh, verse 38 and verse 39. He wanted to continue with Jesus. He wanted to stay with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says in verse 39, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. That's the other thing about being a Christian. Folks, once you know that Jesus Christ has healed your infirmity, it's hard to be quiet about it. It's absolutely hard to be quiet about it. But if he's never healed me, if I've never had an infirmity, and this can be of the mind, of the body, but most specifically I think that you understand what I'm talking about is the infirmity of the human condition. If I've never taken that to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and begged him to help me, then I still have that infirmity. And it's hard to be gracious to others when I've never accepted how gracious the Lord's been to me. I want to look at one more story concerning infirmities. It's found in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 And it's the first 15 verses here of John chapter 5. John's such a wonderful book. This is about a guy who um, the Bible says had an infirmity for 38 years. 38 years. If I start in John chapter 5, verse 1, there's so much here. I'll try to stay on track here. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In this lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. I want you to picture here for a second, what type of environment do you think was at this place? If the context was that the first ripple, the first little disturbance in that pool of water meant that the angel from God had disturbed the water and the first one in was healed, I want you to imagine the environment. I don't think that this was an environment where people were sitting around having casual conversations, talking about What's what? Shooting the breeze, if you will. I don't think that's at at all what it was. I think that that was a place of singular, almost possessive focus. People are sitting, waiting. They're not leaving. In fact, they're living there, waiting for their opportunity to be the first one into the water, to be made whole now, this is the environment where our protagonist, if you will, our, 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 our story starts with this man. Verse 5, and a certain man, by the way, when the Bible says a certain, talking about a man or a woman or an event, we're talking about something that is historically, this is, this is an historical fact. It's not a parable. It says, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity, thirty and eight years, 38 years he has had an infirmity. 38 years he has been in this Bethesda. 38 years his entire life has been consumed with watching a pool of water, hoping, praying, to be the first one in at the troubling of the water. 38 years. Folks, how many times, things in your life right now have you dealt with and are dealing with and they just won't go away 38 years perhaps maybe less maybe more this is what infirmity is those things that you can't fix those things that you can't heal sometimes those things you've convinced yourself are just things that have to be lived with The Bible says Christ is about to get involved in this 38-year problem. Let's see what happens. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now just think about that. How simple is that question? Wilt thou be made whole? Do you understand how many times... The Lord asked that to people, even today. Wilt thou be made whole? It's a simple question. Do you want help? This response is sadly all too often the response. Verse 7. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He used the word I and then me, and then I, and then me. What was his focus on? His focus was on himself. And when his focus was on himself, what did it cause him to do? It caused him to look at his infirmity in a victimized way and to blame everybody else for still having it. Boy, if that's not exactly where we are today. We teach people that their problems aren't their problems, but they're actually everybody else's problems made evidenced by the fact that it's still a problem. Folks, that's not how Jesus Christ tells us to deal with problems. That's not how Jesus Christ tells us to deal with infirmities. The first thing that you're going to find that Jesus Christ tells you to do when dealing with infirmities is to accept personal responsibility for exactly where you are. But that's not what this man did. But Jesus Christ has grace on him. Verse 8, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, rise. Take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. And he took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now it gets interesting here because um, Jesus Christ had a way of doing things on the quote-unquote Sabbath that drove the cultural old-school Jewish ruling sect crazy. Um, But nevertheless, he did it. And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured. It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. (laughs) Now, folks, (laughs) bear with me here. Jesus Christ heals a man from a problem that he could not heal himself from, a problem that he had had 38 years. He obeyed God. God said, get up and walk. He got up Walk. took his bed. That's what Jesus Christ told him to do. Verse 8, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And what's the first thing that happens? The world says, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful to you to carry your bed. And I, I, <laughs> I doubt that man's mind was really concerned with whether or not it was lawful to be doing some menial form of labor on the Sabbath day when he was, for the first time in 38 years, walking. Now, folks, my mind goes to all kinds of logistical things here. If somebody had not walked for 38 years, do you realize that when Jesus Christ told him to get up and walk, there's a lot of physiological body changes that would have had to have happened instantly. We have muscle that's not been used or maybe degenerated muscle that doesn't even exist that is rejuvenated Instantly, upon the spoken word of Jesus Christ, this is the power of our God. He heals infirmities instantly. Infirmities of the mind, infirmities of the body, infirmities of the soul. He is the one that bears our griefs, carries our sorrows, and pays for our sin. Verse 10 the Jews confront him. Verse 11, he answered them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they they him, what man is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he said, and he that was healed, wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away Uh, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Again, three things I think we can learn from this man. Number one, he never became comfortable in his infirmity. 38 years, folks. 38 years he had that. Never once did he accept this. In other words, he never left the Bethesda. The Bethesda is a word that translates to house of kindness. He never left. He continued to pursue a healing that he knew to be miraculous. Jesus Christ walks into the picture. Who, by the way, uh, Jesus Christ was around 32, 31, 32 years old at this point. And so that means that this man had been sitting in this Bethesda, six years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. That kind of puts it into perspective. And Jesus Christ walks in, 38 years into the problem, and fixes it instantly. The man never became comfortable. The second thing I think we can learn from him is that when Jesus told him what to do, he obeyed immediately. He, he didn't argue with him, he just obeyed him. Folks, that's what, that, that's what being a Christian is all about obeying the voice of your God instantly. And the third thing I think we can learn is he went to the house of God. The Bible says that Jesus found him in the temple later on. Folks, this is going back to kind of what I uncovered in that second point. When you truly love Jesus Christ, you're going to want to be where he's at. You're going to want to be in the house of God. You're going to want to be where the preaching of the doctrine of the word of God is made manifest. Manifest is a word that means to be, to be uncovered. And so when I truly accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to want to have a relationship with him. Sadly, I think what Christianity has become today is nothing more than a fanciful religious form of fire insurance, if you will. We all want to go to heaven, um, but mostly because we just don't want to go to hell folks, that's not, going, not going to hell is not what being a Christian is about. Wanting to be with Jesus Christ is what being a Christian is all about. And you don't have to wait until you're dead to want to be with him. That starts now. That's what being a Christian is all about, following Jesus Christ. That's what the word Christian means. So, if I claim to have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, not by a process, not by an ascent of the mind, not by a mental or or, or a life decision, but by the hand of God in my life, by the power of Jesus Christ, if I've accepted Christ by faith in God and repentance towards Him, and I put my faith and trust in Christ, then He has saved me, and I will see Him as He is. In the meantime, I'm commanded by the Bible to serve him. Serve him with my mind. Serve him with my life. I serve him with what I listen to and what I say. I serve him with where I go and with where I don't go. My life is to be, the Bible says, separate and holy as a purchased thing unto the Lord. The Bible says, know ye not that ye are purchased with a price, that price being the blood of Jesus Christ. Being a Christian is not about what you say, folks. Being a Christian is about what you do. Having your infirmities healed is not about uh, doing it yourself, but rather about acknowledging the fact that Jesus Christ did it. Infirmities. You don't have to live with them. You can give them to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's my promise to you, not from me, but from the Bible, when I truly, Give my infirmities to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will take them. It's a biblical promise. As sure as the sky is blue, it will happen. Folks, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. I do sincerely hope that you get to have some time to spend with family and friends. We live in such a commercialized, busy society. Please separate yourself from that for a little bit. Realize what's truly important. The Lord's given you people in your lives that could use a reminder of how much you care about them, how much you love them, and how much you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, if you don't know that you're saved, uh, the Lord can answer that question. I'm not trying to create issues where there are none. But sometimes issues that we've convinced ourselves are just things of life can actually be healed. They just can't be healed by anything that we do, but rather only by the healing love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you, and then we'll dismiss, and I'll see you again next time, or I'll talk to you again next time. Father, thank you so much for the time that you've given us to go through your word and look at these stories about people who had been healed from infirmities. The woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, the man who had devils for a long time, and the man who had an infirmity for 38 years, Father. I'm sure that these people today, I'm not, I'm I'm positive that these people today, Father, are with you in heaven, and they get to see you face to face. And one day I'll get to see you face to face, and I get to meet these people. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for loving us truly. When we could not, you could. Thank you. I pray that you'd help us, Father, to walk worthy of that love and to be a shining light for the cause of Christ, no matter what the cost is to us. Father, we ask you specifically for help just in our country, in our churches, in our our families, our societies, our neighborhoods. Father, we can't do anything about most of the problems that we face. Most of the infirmities we face are just so much bigger than we are. We leave these things in your hands, and we ask that you would please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thank you so much for being with me, and I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless.